welcome to Michigan Hockey Cast 5.7, where we play four periods of good hockey instead of two. Progress! It's a hockey cast tradition where we need to rate the streaming services with which we get to watch Michigan hockey. So we've had BTN Plus, which carries on from year to year. And then this year, what we got, Flow TV, Flow Hockey TV, something like that. We've had NCHC TV in the past. And this weekend, we got Peacock, which, I mean, we used last year, I think, and has generally been fine. Did you have any overall takes on Peacock and where it would rank among the other streaming services? Well, we've done Peacock before. It's definitely, I think, probably the best one um, because it's a, you know, actually a pretty professional service. Um, and it's free. So <laughs> It's free. Well, it's free for some of us Well, who pay for it in other ways. Sure. But it's it's free for the people who count. So, <laughs> well, that's, if you don't have cable, you're dead to me. That's, that's, that's you know good. my you know my persona. I, I am the number one cable supporter. I thought you were going to say you're the number one cable subscriber, and and uh, that feels sure. like Brian Mack. <laughs> no, yeah, Peacock was fine. And the one thing I will say is the camera work during the first game was uh, a little roller coastery at times where the zooms would come in and fade out. And then sometimes we got to see the neutral zone for no reason. I mean, the whatsoever. camera never pointed at the ceiling for at least 15 seconds. So that's good. So it's better than Wolf TV. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, they had a score bar. So that's a plus. They did. they did not have shots though. No, but they, they told us what the score was. That's true. And they had the clock. There were and no, the- there are no technical difficulties. I mean, and it's, the, the penalty clock. It's about as good as you penalty can get for those support for those different services that we have to use. Well, we may get more of Peacock in the future, right? Depending on the TV rights upcoming. Yeah, I assume we'll probably get pretty acquainted with uh, with it. So, probably more of you people out there will have to acquire some some Peacock at some point. But all right, let's get into the first game. Uh, this was. A pretty tight first period. It started off with Michigan getting an early power play on a cross check. I thought it was a silly penalty from one of the the Notre Dame players who um, just slammed a guy really late, and it seemed pretty obvious. And that was kind of um, like a sign of things to come throughout the rest of the game. It was a pretty feisty game. So Michigan does get their first power play, and um, there's some. De- there was original debate on the goal. Luke had a had a nice take to the net and was saved, and then the puck is recycled eventually. They get it back in, and um, Samuskevich lets one go from straight away that beats Bischel but hits the post, comes back, and it looks like T.J. Hughes slams it in. But upon replay, uh, it it looks like 
the second time that it actually hits Bischel and gets kicked in or bounces off of him. It was very weird. It, I mean, it seemed like the puck was going to go in anyway, even if if it was TJ Hughes or if, if they gave the credit to Samuskevich. Um, it's still, I think, a pretty good goal because, yes, you get lucky on the bounce, but there's a guy ready for the rebound. And technically, the shot beat the goalie. You just kind of got unlucky with the post. It hit the goalie's goal stick, it looked like, and bounced back in. Um they gave it, I believe, to, to Samuskevich. Yes, um, so, eventually. Yes, after uh, a change there. So, uh, you know, good shot. Beats goalie, gets the the friendly bounce, and then you're off and running. Yeah, Michigan had a couple of sloppy moments in this game. Um, after their goal was one of them, where Notre Dame gets one of their forever shifts that we used to associate with the Beneers line at Michigan for a couple of years. Uh Michigan struggles to get the puck out. It's kind of bouncing around. I didn't see any, like, grade A scoring chances. They did have some chances, and Portillo made some saves. Um, But that was sort of uh, the first time that that Michigan kind of ran into some defensive issues. And it wouldn't be their last, but there were not as many in this game as there had been in the previous weekends. No, I I mean, I thought this game was the best game top to bottom that Michigan has played, certainly defensively, but also in their offense. I mean, this was uh, one that you do want to get the tape of and talk about ways to try and replicate it. Yeah. Also helped that they might have played the worst team they've played this year. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, we could get into... Or, well, we'll get into that later. Little they're, that they're obviously, they're better than a couple non-conference teams, but certainly among the heavier hitters. Did you did you schedule. whisper that on purpose? Yeah. <laughs> but among the heavier hitters, I did not I was not impressed with Notre Dame this weekend whatsoever and I haven't been at all this season. No, that's true. You you have kind of been their biggest detractor, I suppose. Um, and from what I've seen, I didn't think so either. The thing that makes me the worried detractor is themselves. <laughs> Stop giving up five goals every other game. Well, they didn't on Saturday, and that's the problem. Well, I said every other game, so they did on yeah, Friday, and they didn't on Saturday. That's but. true. Um, Notre Dame does tie it a little bit later. They get their first power play. And so here's kind of the thing, right? Is like Penn State struggles on the power play last week, but gets a power play goal, I think, or two. And then Notre Dame has an even worse power play. Michigan gives up two power play goals over the weekend. Like, it's not the end of the world, but... It's kind of a bit infuriating when you're sitting there listening to the broadcast, doing your research, knowing, hey, okay, we're okay on special teams probably, maybe. And then the announcers say, well, Notre Dame hasn't scored on the power play since the Bush administration. So, you know, maybe it's time they break it. And then they do. And then they end up getting another one. And, And I know that's randomness and it's going to happen. And you always tell me things. What? What do you always say? Things are true until they're not. Yes, that's one of my old sayings. (laughs) That you probably coined and stole from no one. But it just happened again for Michigan. It's one-to-one. But this goal was not uh, repeatable, I think, in any way. As There's a shot that comes from the point, and it kind of trickles wide. Portillo looks a little off balance, falls and gets the post puck goes wide and Chase Primo is down on the ice but somehow takes his kind of near the back of the net in the corner and he takes his stick and whips it all the way around the other side of the net to awaiting Nick Lieberman who is near the dot on the far side and he shoots it into the open net. 
it reminded me of you remember that Ovechkin goal when he's yeah. like on his back and he like yeah. whips it sideways and sort of like lacrosse sticks it on the ice into the net. That's sort of the kind of pass this was. Yeah, it was a pretty crazy play. Uh, great pass from behind the net all the way around and one where it uh, kind of looked like a bad bounce at first. Then you see the replay and it's like, oh, wow, that was that wasn't a really nice play. I mean, that's one of those plays that you're like, I just give him props for even thinking about it. Like just get just being able to visualize the ability to do that is a step that probably a lot of players would not even think of. And yet he not only did that, but was able to pull it off. Yeah, I mean, that's the, I think, wasn't, uh, haven't they been calling that hat in UFR this year? That's the new the new term for it, essentially when the, the Oh, opponent, like, like a hat tip thing? Yeah, that okay. when the opponent does something crazy and you yeah. can't really chalk it up as a negative. Yeah, you're just like, oh, you hit the perfect pass again. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's basically what this was. Um, And then we kind of enter the controversial part of the first period where, Uh, uh, Michigan gets a second power play off of a sloppy Notre Dame change. Um, They got a couple looks, and then Semiskevich just gets absolutely rocked into the boards and looks like if things don't go his way, he could break his neck. Like, it's one of those perfect checks where he's a couple feet off the board, a few feet off the boards, and you just see him just get launched in the back, and his head almost turns sideways as he slams in. I mean, that's like the hit they're trying to take out of college hockey, right? I mean, in hockey in general. Yeah, and it was uh, an easy five-minute major, and it was on the the power play. So Michigan was setting up to potentially get about 90 minutes of five on... 90, 90 seconds of five <laughs> 90. on three. Yeah. And then in the middle of that, they call the penalty and Jeff Jackson review asks for a review of a Fantilli hit that was, what, a couple minutes earlier, I think? I don't know exactly how, how much early it was. The one that was later in the game was like a full two and a half to three minutes earlier. Yeah. I don't know about this one. I think it might have been like 45 seconds to a minute So earlier. they review this one and the guy's sort of standing and skating in front of Fantilli and... I don't know, annoys him in some way, and Fantilli reaches out and kind of like slaps him across the face no, it was or more like brushes they, him across the they head. They kind of collide, but Fantilli sort of launches with his, with his glove. Yeah, it's like a kind of a protective type thing, and the guy's hunched over, and so you kind of have that dangerous thing that can sometimes pop up. You see it in other sports, too, where when a guy is sort of hunching over, contorting their body, it lowers where their head is from the normal level. Yeah. So when something like that happens and you see that, like in college hockey, they defined it in this game as a five-minute major uh, without the disqualification. So if Antilli has to go serve five minutes and he comes back, the guy who rocked... Samo in the back was kicked out of the game. Yep. So it wasn't the same, but it was kind of the same. I mean, is that even a two-minute penalty in your book, or is that just a weird interpretation of an odd rule in college, college no, hockey? No, I mean, I I don't think there was anything particularly... I don't know. The, the Fantilli thing... The problem becomes they need to find a way to parse down exactly the different... Uh, stipulations and things because you know the targeting thing in college football is still a mess 
but I feel like it's still <laughs> more defined than the college hockey thing in terms of like, oh, it has to lead with the helmet, or it has yeah. to be this, or it has to be that. Whereas this is just like, oh, find any clip at any point in a game where someone's elbow made contact with someone's head, and that is it like at least a 50-50 shot of being a five-minute penalty. And it's like, okay, but that happens like 75 times a game. Yeah, They need to be specific instances of clear intent, as the Sam Miskevich thing was. You know, that one for me was just kind of like, okay, I mean, I tweet about it at the time. It's like when Fantilli is in the NHL next season, um, it's going to happen 800 times over the course of a given season, and right. no one ever thinks anything of it. I mean, that's just it, – it, it's uh, – just really, really ticky-tack type stuff to the point that if you're going to really police that, you just need to have a no-contact sport. I mean, that is a point. So instead, it stays, what, five on four, I believe, because both yep. players leave for five minutes. Well, one leaves for the game. His proxy leaves for five minutes. Um, and Michigan doesn't really do anything else for the, the remainder of that power play. Uh, they do get... And Notre Dame gets a two-on-one later before the end of the end of the period portillo makes a nice save off of just a rocket shot that you could hear that hit his pad um a big rebound came in out but that was i'm not really sure how you control that one yeah you'd like him to put it in the corner i guess but that was that was a blast i thought so so it's 1-1 after the first shots are like i think 13-11 pretty even game for the most part um the thing about that call on fantilli is with that five-on-three and soothing potential five-minute major, I mean, Michigan could blow that game open right there very similarly to the way that they blew open the BU game. Yeah, it, it was looking like they had the potential to do that, but nope. No, but that's okay because there's still a second period where Michigan decidedly cashes in. Um getting four goals. It starts with Eric Ciccolini, who swoops across the top of the house and fires one in the top corner. It was a pretty good shot, a slightly reminiscent of what we'd seen from him a few years ago. Uh, he was hurt last year. The year before that, he was starting to kind of break out and scored a few goals um, on some, some nice shooting, and this was a good thing for him. We haven't seen, I believe he scored earlier in one of their opening games, but um, we haven't seen a whole lot from him the last few weeks. Nice to see him find the back of the net. Yeah, well, uh, T.J. Hughes on the four check helps create the the turnover, and then a pass to Ciccolini cuts across, and then uh, just wires a really nice shot uh, by Ryan Bischel. I mean, you know, you can make an argument that Bischel, as you can in most shots, that goalies, you know, almost every shot that beats the goalie, they have a shot at. But this one was a legitimately, um, you know, just a really good shot. Well placed. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Portillo had a couple of issues, but again, like no real major chances for Notre Dame. Um, and then Jeff Jackson pulls out what you previously referenced as the second review, trying to get Adam Fantilli kicked out of the game because Nerado quotes later saying he knows that they can't skate with him. He knows that line can't play against him. And this was the second chance. And I, I don't like we were debating if they even reviewed this. Like the guy walks into well, the we box. Never, we never saw it. Well, he walks into the box and the camera's on him, but he never really looks at a screen, waits a little bit and then comes back out and says uh, there will be no penalty on the play. And you're like, well, you didn't you didn't even look at it, which is fine. But what what is that? You 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 reviewed nothing. It's I mean, like, there's probably was nothing to review, but it's like when uh 
you know, the child asks the parent to go, like, see if there's a ghost in the closet, right? And then they come back. <laughs> no, I think we're good. Is there a monster under the bed? Well, not in this box. Uh, so, I, I don't know what it was they were talking about. And it was, you know, the, the whole line about it, I mean, that was the thing that, again, to me, that has to be changed. That uh, we, We've had this kind of discourse in NHL recently about offsides reviews, which people are getting increasingly tired of, of where you have, right, an offside, you know, a play at the line, and the puck comes in, 90 seconds of cycle time happens, then a goal is scored, and they're like, oh, got to rewind it 87 seconds earlier, <laughs> even though possession has changed and blah, blah, blah. You know, the puck never left the zone, but the other team had many chances to clear and just couldn't and on and on. You know, I, I've said in the NHL it needs to be within probably 10 to 15 seconds at least, Yeah, not 5 to 10. Directly related to the goal. goal. Yeah. yeah. And I think in this situation, if we're going to have reviews, it, they need to be – if you want to – have a, a coach challenge fly. Just throw it in the middle of the play, and then it stops the play. But it needs to be within. This is like two and a half minutes earlier, and they're like, please, uh, they're challenging a review at the 14-minute, five-second mark. And it's like, what? <laughs> like, you know, it, 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 you, you can't just have the video coach you know, scribbling down each little time yeah, every just time he going sees something, back. right? And the, just the timeout, you know, the, the coach hands this, like, uh, you know, grocery list <laughs> to the referee. Why don't like, you check all <laughs> these hits? We're going to go grab a snack. Uh, it, 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 if, if it didn't happen at the time, and if people watching the game did not notice it, yeah. we should not be reviewing it. Yeah. If you challenge that and the referee can't even remember what you're referring to, <laughs> They should have the option to kick you out for the game for <laughs> so, wasting their time. So I, that's what this was. This well, was a complete waste of time. This really feels like Jeff Jackson's attempt to get Fantilli out of the game, and it seemed part of the game plan because he reviews the first one, is successful, and then is like, sweet, I have another challenge. Because college hockey has changed this year in that if you lose your, if you take your challenge or you, you use your challenge and you're unsuccessful, you lose your timeout. Okay, that used to be the end of it. Now it's they've added the NHL model onto the end of that where, okay, you can challenge again, but if you're wrong, now you get a delay of game penalty. So in theory, you could just have a great penalty kill and challenge all of these things and just take two minutes. I mean, I'm... I've kind of come around to the idea that there shouldn't be challenges in any of the sports. That basically, if it's an important enough play, it needs to be reviewed. A video referee should just review it and take care of it. And that, like, the whole strategy about review, like, it should just be to get the calls right and the important calls right. And that shouldn't require strategy from the coaches to get those right. We should just take care of them on their on their own. Like those couple of years when Harbaugh had to keep calling timeouts just to get a review of the spot that was a yard off. It was a Nebraska game where he like, has to call timeout on, like, fourth down because they missed the spot by, like, a yard. Right. I mean, it should just be that, like, if there is a controversial play yeah. and that if someone, a video referee watching, knows it's clearly wrong, they just stop it, fix it, and we move on. Like, that's what I've been frustrated about in the NHL where you have the two-minute penalty if you get the review wrong. Like, I don't really get 
the, again, the goal should be to get it right. It should not be like an all of this stuff should not be strategic strategy, right? Yeah. It's just and and I get that they put that in there to prevent these ridiculous reviews from sure. taking place, but that's why we just shouldn't have them in the first place. Obvious stuff that's clearly wrong, they should just take care of and get it right with no strategy involved. And the nonsense stuff should not just be shouldn't be reviewable at all. Just don't even give them the challenge flag. We're just not looking at that. Can I put my tinfoil hat on for a second? Okay. Assuming that that's the goal and that they want to get it right. I mean, that's just part of this. I mean, like, it just like, seems like... like well, think about that. Remember that spot in the MSU game like two weeks ago? The the fourth down spot where it's like not even close. Yeah. And the referee spots <laughs> it's a yard. two yards wrong. <laughs> yeah, and they bring the trains yeah. up. You know, I watching that game was pressing the instant replay <laughs> review as soon as the spot came down. Right? Like, that's just something that anyone watching on a TV should yeah. just say... Boom, that's wrong. Let's fix it. Get it done with in, you know, 25 seconds. Yeah, maybe you and I have purer hearts than a lot of others involved, but I I don't disagree with what you're saying. I think that's probably true. And taking away from all these challenges of forcing the coaches to be the monitors of the referees on top of trying to coach the game seems a bit absurd. And that maybe the problem is within the structure itself. The other one I've come to about the offsides that I think other people have said that is a good one is that you should... Uh, do the offside reviews and do them at, at uh, real speed. Not allowed to slow <laughs> them down. slowing them down. Because yeah. the, the intent huh? behind it was there was that one infamous play many years ago where it was a playoff goal and the guy was like miles offside, yeah. not even close. Yeah. And they were like, well, we can't have that happen ever again. Yeah. And to me, and that's a play where you watch it and it's like, oh, that was clearly wrong. And that uh, I think is a decent idea that basically we're fixing the flagrantly wrong things and we're not dealing with the things that are uh you know slow it down and then we're going to reconstruct it with three different angles yeah and we're going to draw the little line to see if there's white between the skate and the blue and the <laughs> just watch it in real speed and if it's clearly wrong we fix it and if it's not then we're not fixing it and then that's the end of it yep well Michigan makes all of this moot because not only do do they win this fake challenge or whatever, I don't know how to even call it, but then that's when they start to put the game away. Uh, Fantilli kind of rubs it in Jeff Jackson's face as he throws a pass along basically the goal line from the corner into in front of the net. Duke has, I think, a phenomenal tip. Like, that's a difficult puck to redirect. He gets his stick on it, gets in the right place, but it's not like he's sitting there waiting for it back door. He also has a guy on him, redirects it in uh, from the corner, makes it 3-1. to one. At that point, you're feeling pretty good, and then before you can really even adjust to what has happened, um, Jackson Hallam gets out in front of everyone on a breakaway, goes forehand, backhand, and roofs it up over Bischel. It's 4-1 to now, and, I mean, at that point, the game is it's done. I mean, Notre Dame does not score enough goals to really come back in, in this, and um, you just kind of saw what happens when they have to skate with Michigan. Yeah, and then it doesn't help that they just play very badly. The fifth, <laughs> the fifth goal... Is a remember we were watching that yeah. and it was like wow who made that pass and it's like oh it's the Notre Dame defender yeah Nick Lever I think it was Lieberman right the guy to, who right uh, to TJ Hughes I mean goal. that was oof and <laughs> uh, yeah it's just a combination of Michigan playing pretty well and also the reverse I mean I want to talk just a second about that Hallam goal because 
he is even with the defenders when the the pass is basically made and within two stride within two seconds he is strides ahead of him obviously we know how fast we've talked about how fast he is clearly he is the thing that's pretty uh, like not eye opening but encouraging i guess is like that the hands that he had to show that move and finish and um like we had talked about last week of Michigan needing depth scoring at some point, and you get a goal from Ciccolini, you get a goal from Hallam in this case. You referenced the fifth goal, uh, which happened a few minutes later, the TJ Hughes goal. So, you know, they still get the Duke goal from the top line, the Samuskevich goal that bounces off the, the post and the pads and in. Um, but they also then, like, put the game away with the rest of their lines. Yep. Uh... It was a complete team performance in this game, and that includes the third period where uh, nothing happened, basically. Right. And That's where they actually took the air out of the period. Yep. Just completely denied any opening for a repeat of the uh, previous week's <laughs> incident weeks. against yeah. <laughs> uh, against Penn State. So uh, that was very encouraging to see. Uh, the, the last event of the evening was um, Nolan Moyle uh, slicing right down the slot and just absolute dump trucking Ryan Bischel, which leads to sort of a brawl as you get about three or four individual tussles going on and, and wrestling matches. Um, an MGO employee in the room did stand up and yell, run him again, about four times. Where did you stand on running Bischel again? Um, like I was not his his point was okay. They've been taking shots at Samo all night, and that's one of Michigan's best players. Nolan Moyle, the captain, presumably did this on purpose to um sort of retaliate on the hits that have been given out for to his team. But you are you're not necessarily in that corner. Uh. I thought Roman's fine. He got the big fight and everything, and the teams are going at it again the next night. If there's anything more, you can take care of that the next day, I think is my philosophy on it. Okay. So, 5-1, to one, Michigan walks away with a pretty simple win. Um, like I said, it probably would have been over. I think I wrote about this in, in my breakdown, but it probably would have been over in the first period if the, they get the Fantilli call right, and then Michigan scores a goal or two there. But it took an extra period. Michigan pours on goals, and that's all for that. Um, in game two, so I didn't get back until probably eight, five to eight minutes left in the second period. Did you get to watch much of the first period of this game? No, not really. Uh, but the statistics and scoreboard says that Michigan had a pretty good period. Uh, they get a goal really early. Ethan Edwards gets his first of the year, finishing an Adam Fantilli shot. Um, nice to see Edwards find the net. It took him a little bit while, a little bit last year to kind of get going. Um, you've seen some of his skating start to pop again this year, where he's getting chances and moving into the offensive zone, and he gets a rebound on this one. Pretty nice early goal and a, a good sign that their Michigan's starting to pick up where they left off. Yeah, uh, definitely a guy you kind of wanted to get see get going after the very slow start that he had to the year with the injury, obviously, combined. Just cutting to the net there and uh, a puck in position to kind of finish it off. And, you know, then after the second goal, it kind of seemed like Michigan was uh, on track to potentially 
uh, recreate uh, what had gone down on, on Friday. Right, and that second goal you referenced was a Sam Oskavich, I think, shot from distance yeah, it was on the from, power play. It was from pretty far out. You can't. Re- I couldn't really tell from the replay if there was a, a screen or exactly what uh, was going on on that one, but it didn't look particularly uh, great from uh, Ryan Bischel, but it got him a couple uh, goals up, and now all of a sudden... Uh, Again, it, it seemed like they were in a in a very uh, very good position, but there was a lot of time to go, and that's kind of a, a central story here. Yeah, uh, it, that same issue raised its ugly head about because, like you said, they're half the halfway through the game. I mean, Michigan's exactly pretty much where you want them to be, and I you know I got I got home, turned it on. It was two to one. Saw a replay of the first goal for Notre Dame. It looked like a defensive breakdown. Uh, I couldn't tell if it was a two on one or just a, a defensive zone turnover. But um, Tyler Carpenter, I believe, uh, scored on a nice pass across through the slot, and he was right in front of Portillo for a pretty easy goal um, from right in close. That's you know, you, it's always great when your goalie can make those saves, but at some point, you know, the other team is going to convert on a grade-A opportunity. And, you know, you texted me and said, you know, Michigan just gives up too many of these. Yeah, I felt that uh, both of the goals are obviously nicely skilled plays and things like that, that but there also are, are stuff that Michigan uh, needs to do better shutting that sort of thing off. Um, and that's kind of been a complaint that I've had uh a little uh, a little bit too much this year certainly the tying goal there on the power play yeah or it's just the passing through the defense and i just i don't feel like they take away the passes well enough uh, at this point in time to kind of stop those uh i guess the way i would put it is they allow goals from sort of compromised positions too much Right where they get in a position where it's an odd man rush or whatever it may be, but then the thing about giving up, being in those situations, is that the opponent then still has to do stuff to turn them into goals. Yeah, and there are ways to shut those off. Right, a, you know, two on one. Obviously, they get the shot on the goalie, but the one thing on two on one that you can make sure doesn't happen is the pass across. We talked about right. this last week with the three on two. Three on two shouldn't be threatening if you know what you're doing right. to shut them off. And it's just too often. Yes, the other team is set up in a favorable position, but then they don't do the things you need to do to reduce those from being really good looks. And there's generally fundamental ideas of how to play those things. It's not like you kind of have to ad-lib, and it's not like a four-on-one where you have to yeah. dive and hope to get lucky, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. And, I, I mean, we should start with the, with with this goal with the penalty. I mean, it was another too-many-men penalty, and that's just kind of something that, you know, maybe it's maybe it's – coaching maybe it's not calling out lines maybe it's not people not being aware um who's coming on for whom or what but you know that's something that i don't want to say should never happen because you know mistakes are made but it's one of those easily preventable penalties it's not like where you get beat and you bring the guy down because he made a good move this is a hey get the right guys on the ice at the right time and go for changes when they make sense and you know those are things that i think hopefully will be cleaned up I mean, kind they, of, they had some issues with this last year. Yeah. I mean, it's teams sometimes go through it, and uh, I don't know. It's never good, but we'll see if it continues. You were right about the passing through the defense on, or the penalty kill, I should say, on this play, because you get like a diagonal sets up the uh, from one side back to the opposite point, and then the shot 
kind of comes down. It's a, it's a shot pass sort of that goes to the opposite post from the left point. And there's a waiting player right there. I think it was uh, Chase Primo, actually, the guy who made the really nice pass the previous day, who's just sitting there and uses his skates and stick and his entire body just to be a wall that you, the puck just banks off of and into the net. And there's nothing really Portillo can do because he's out at the other side because it's coming from the opposite side. And Edwards, if you look on the replay, kind of is, is late to get back down. He steps out to the dot where there's a shooter and I think the, the original pass came from, but can't get back down to Primo in time. And, you know, you just have an open guy right in front of the net. Yeah, I mean, again, it's just uh, power play breaking down the defense and because you're just not uh, putting yourself in the right position to take that kind of thing away. And, it you know, area for improvement. And it's frustrating because it was 2-0, and after building off of a very nice game on Friday. But, but... The thing to note is that two nothing at the end of the first period is very very different than two nothing in the third period, period or <laughs> yeah. three nothing in the third period yeah. or five to one in the third period. Those are situations where you need where you go into the time to salt the game away. Right. You can't do that at the start of the second period. There's right. way too much time to go. You know, and especially when one of the goals comes not at five on four, right, or at five on four, not at five on five. That's you know already inherently a different sort of situation. Sure, we've just seen. I don't know what Michigan's played 12 games. And I would guess that in nine or 10 of them, they've had a two goal lead at some point in the game. Yeah, I, it definitely was a, a you know, frustrating callback to earlier problems. But at the same time, I would say that I didn't think this was like a, a terrible example of like not defending the lead or whatever. Yeah. That it just, they had a couple really good looks. And again, Michigan has just struggled to stop teams from getting those kinds of really good looks. Well, and then what what you do instead is you add on and you take the lead, and that's something that Michigan didn't really do. I thought that the third period was pretty even. I thought Michigan had probably the better chances overall, including like the chance, which I called it, was uh, Jackson Helm had another breakaway. This time he shoots right away instead of going um, like back, like trying to deke. And I kind of thought. You know, when you're watching the game Friday, and, and obviously it's true Saturday because it's still Bischel, but, um, you know, get this guy to move, right? Like, this is, he's he's really good when he can stay in his position and just sort of form up and stop shots. But if you make him move, he's not the mo- the best athlete or the most agile. He's not Dominic Hoshik going post to post and flailing around. So when you do that, you have a chance to get open nets. Yeah, Michigan did that a few times, um, but that was my only critique of, of Hallam's second breakaway is, you know, maybe instead of just shooting and trying to beat him, you try to use speed or misdirection and force him to to have to go to an area that he's not as comfortable with. Sure. I mean, you're not... At the same time, you're not going to beat him every time on your breakaway, no. right? And that's... And, and that is the thing with Hallam is as the year goes along, he'll get a lot of those chances. Yeah. I, I agree. So, 2-2 going into overtime, 3-on-3. Three three, you know, we've watched plenty of this a little bit with Michigan and plenty of it in the NHL, and it's completely changed. You know, you don't shoot the puck unless you have a really great A chance, and if because if you don't have it, then you cycle back, you throw it in your own end, your goalie picks it up, and he finds the first available guy, and you just keep the puck until you get a great shot. Michigan, I thought, shot a couple times a little too early, trying to force some things. Hughes tried to take on two or three guys and make a hero play. Didn't really work. Um, 
And then eventually what's bound to happen is you play long enough, so there's going to be a two-on-one. Notre Dame gets the first one, and Sillyanoff just finishes one off. And it, I think the puck went between through Portillo, but, you know, I don't know. I, I It's going to happen in in two in in overtime three on three hockey you're going to give up odd man rushes but also like michigan has played in what this is their third overtime game in three weeks like you don't just get to win russian roulette every time like you're saying sure and i would say that at least my thing in overtimes honestly in the three on three is that some teams really stress the puck possession thing and and the three on threes then somehow become pretty boring <laughs> well sure <laughs> because the the teams are just kind of waiting around waiting around waiting around i kind of just like the play breakneck hope you get the first three on two or two on one or whatever it is if you don't score on that then they'll get one in bat right because that's what happens yeah the moment it breaks down then it just turns into one rush then one rush then one rush then so one rush back is that how it. you would coach your players i just kind of like that because it's as a fan or as a as rather like a, than just standing around and waiting to maybe one look at some point and then we go to the shootout just it's random anyway Right, where one of them kind is of like waiting around to then pull the trigger, whereas the other one's just flip the coin and we'll see who, for who it lands on. Right, like that's so, the, is this why you're a commentator, and not a coach? I watch these things in the NHL, and if if my team is playing in overtime and they lose after having gotten a two on one or a three on two or a breakaway, I just say okay. Well, sure. sure. We got our look. We didn't make it. Then they got their look at the other end, and they got it. So that's the way it goes. Right. I just think that the the thought going into it is let's not give one of those up and but if see you, if we can score with one of our goal scores. But it's a lot harder to do that in three on three, and when you're all, when sure. you're only pressing for possession, then it kind of takes that aspect away, right? Uh, so taking a step back, you know, it's frustrating because you know they they dropped a point last week, they dropped two points this week, both from leading positions. And, you know, it's starting to mount up a little bit like these. Hopefully these aren't games you look back in three or four months and say, man, we could have had, you know, a point, an extra point in this game or two extra points in this game. Um, Like that's exactly what happened last year. You know, and you're right. You're not going to finish all of these games. And honestly, you know, these are two of the tougher places that Michigan goes. So to have those out of the way is also not a bad thing. And to get points from those situations, um, you know, but again, being in basically leading the whole game or the majority of the game and then not getting the most points or not even getting a lot of the points um, is a little frustrating. I looked at the even strength Corsi in the second game. The first game was pretty it's strongly in favor of Michigan. And in the second game, it was, I believe, 48-48, pretty even. So, you know, maybe in the end, you're right. This was a, an even game that went to overtime and Notre Dame got the bounce. Yeah, Notre Dame played much better in this game, and I think that overall you can talk about dropping points in this, that, and the other thing, but this is not the Big Ten last year, and I think that's a very important thing to point out. We'll get into it in a second segment, but last year when Michigan lost in regulation home to Wisconsin, it was like, oh, man. Yeah. Right? You can't... Well, losing to Wisconsin is a different level. Wisconsin but... <laughs> might still be in that category, but last year was definitely a league in which there were teams where you know, you did not want to drop points to those teams. Yeah. And this year, there's maybe one. And otherwise, yeah. you're going to have a lot more just two, three, four-point weekends in theory in this Big Ten. Yeah. Um, and that getting six and the teams that have been able to do that at different points so far this season, that's huge. 
because this is a this Big Ten is the Big Twelve in hockey, right? You think about the Big Twelve football right here, you know, this year where everyone except TCU has like three or four losses. Yeah, like this is in every given you know Friday, Saturday, Thursday, maybe Sunday, depending on the week. <laughs> any of these teams can beat any of the other teams. Well, it's, there aren't tiers right now. Sorry, there aren't. Well. There's one except team. for one, yeah. Except for one tier, yeah. We keep there's six. Well, we can just say 16, there's six teams yeah. in the Big Ten this yeah. year. <laughs> yeah, there's one family member we don't like very much. They so don't get invited anymore. But the other six, <laughs> they're all kind of in the same range right now, and that's why the Big Ten. If you look at the poll today, they which you know is pointless, but uh, it does have I think six teams in it. Yeah, from well, the Big Ten. Well, pairwise, I think Notre Dame was sixth. In pairwise, well, pairwise, and they're and they, but they were like friends. 20. Don't let friends talk about pairwise before January first. What 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 Nate's about? about to be on. He's the he's the number one leader of the. You never talk about pairwise before January first. Well, okay, but I was using it as a reference that all six Big Ten teams are sure. in the top twenty. Sure, I mean this could be a four or five bid bid league this year. Wouldn't surprise me. Well, and that's a good league. Yep. I can't believe I'm doing this. If you find yourself in the penalty box, you want a Michigan man arguing your case, call criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul tonight. It's 248 and 924-9458. Or visit his old website at michiganlawgrad.com. To do our Around the Big Ten and Minnesota preview, I thought we would bring on Nate Wells at Gopher State on Twitter. I met Nate years ago now, um, talking some, he sat next to him in the press box, didn't really know each other, and just started talking about college hockey because at Michigan, Minnesota, seeing you at a couple Frozen Fours now, hopefully see you in more Frozen Fours. I'm sure we'll both sign up for that. Um, Nate, my first question to you is, can you explain the Big Ten West to us? Because we've been trying all year and have zero idea. How much, how much time do we have? <laughs> uh, well, my best, my best way to kind of go with the Big Ten West is, I mean, the three best teams in the Big Ten are on the East. It's pretty much if you have a group of Michigan states in the West who are all kind of just, they're all, they're good teams. They're not great teams. And they can all win on any given Saturday. And that's pretty much what's, what's happening. Um, I mean, Minnesota's still in it, right? Like, they can still win it? Uh, they need they need help a little bit. They need some, need some help. They don't control their own destiny, but, uh, I mean, they play they play Iowa, they play Wisconsin, so they still have their they, – they, they still they can help their – they can help their cause, but I think they need one or two uh, teams. I, don't, I, I know uh, Purdue losing helps them, but I don't remember how exactly. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, it's pretty convoluted as it is. I, I think Iowa is the only team that controls their own destiny, if I remember correctly. But everyone has the same record anyway, it feels like. Yeah, pretty pretty much. It's a lot of basically it's going to be someone's going to look at some tiebreakers and have some fun. Do, do you have any takes on the you know, Minnesota football team before we get into hockey? Uh, I mean, I... It, the fact that like I'm watching the Gophers pretty much year in year out compete for that Big Ten West has been fantastic. After growing up watching just about yeah three, two two decades of just some questionable football, um, <laughs> I mean the high points for me until this is pretty much just, it's uh, been like it was the Glenn Mason era. So right, I mean, a lot of doing well non conference, maybe getting in three four wins, going to the Music City Bowl or the Insight Bowl. <laughs> Um, and I mean, I've seen, we've seen Fleck though. They're able to, they went to the, uh, Citrus Bowl. They've been able to get eight, nine, 10 wins fairly regularly, which I mean, is fairly, is, is pretty impressive. I think that big difference for them is just going to be getting that, like the, just, just cutting out that one, like bad off week. Cause it seems like year in, year out, it's, they lose a game that they shouldn't lose. Yeah. Just kind of, well, they lost their quarterback, right? Yeah. 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 That's uh, yeah. Tanner Morgan's been injured the last bit. Um, and you missed the Penn State game, which, I mean, between that and the whiteout just is really tough. Um, it kind of right. showed the difference and gap between where the Gophers are and where they want to be. Um, but they lost to Purdue uh, this year, which was just one of those ones where we thought maybe they shouldn't, and then they lost to Illinois. So. Yeah. Well, but I'm sure you'll be happy if they can retain the axe, right? Yeah. Oh, definitely. So I want to see them retain the axe. Uh, it's been a while since they've gotten uh, Floyd of Rosedale. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and they're both on the table. Yeah, exactly. All right. Cool. Well, well, we should get into the sport that we actually brought you on to talk about, even though we could probably talk about most sports together. Um, we usually, Alex and I usually go through just the Big Ten and, and go around and then get into, we'll usually um, end with the team that Michigan's going to play next so that we can transition to the preview. Um, I, I This isn't the biggest series, but Wisconsin played Long Island um, and had a little bit of struggles. They won 3-2 to two and 4-3 to three in overtime. Adam Goodsir, Alex and I were talking about this. Adam Goodsir, I think he played for Michigan State last year, scored a goal for, for Long Island. Yeah, this has been the fun part of this season. Um, just with the extra COVID year, you have so many players who are going out and trying to find new homes. And a lot of times, like just like going through rosters, you're like, oh, hey. Yeah. You know, I know you. <laughs> I didn't know you still had eligibility. <laughs> Aren't you 28? <laughs> For years, I did the all they still have eligibility team, and kind of the running gag of it is it's a lot of times it's like a senior who had a really good freshman year and kind of stuck around. Yeah, like oh, yeah, they're still around. Um, like a Big Ten example, Dennis Mirnoff, uh, Penn State. Um, it's kind of tough. Michigan and Minnesota don't have too many of them because usually those players leave early, yeah, or they're so just like, like, all right, we got a recruit uh, coming or, in, <laughs> or like Michigan State, like a Mitch Lewandowski. Um, you just you have these players who just stick around for a long time, and just you're like by the end of it, you're like, oh yeah, they're still around. Okay, yeah, I thought they graduated already, but yeah, it's great to see them. This year is like the ultimate test of that because so many people transferred. You have a few of them who are just the original on that end, which is great to see. Um, but yeah, it's yeah. I mean, LIU has several of those uh, transfers, um, just wanting to continue to find the home, finding a college hockey career. Arizona State's kind of made their bread and butter on transfers, so. You have a few of those teams, which is just it's it's nice to see players get around. But yeah, Long Island, um, new program. They've punched above their weight a little bit in non-conference play. They're an independent. Um, yeah, well, they took Quinnipiac to overtime. I mean, they took Wisconsin struggled a bunch this season, but uh, I mean, we could probably also talk about Wisconsin struggles for like an hour. Or so. <laughs> Alex was was wondering if uh, 
the coach was going to get fired. Weren't you talking about that? I mean, I've been talking about it for a while, but <laughs> yeah. is uh, there any sense of if that will happen or when it might? I mean, at this point, you know, the way things continue, if if if, if Granado if, if Granado continues to stay after this season, the way this is going, um, I mean, Wisconsin's zero and six in the Big Ten right now. Yeah, uh, there's seven teams in the Big Ten. Six are currently ranked in the top twenty, and yes, the polls are our perception, but it kind of says a lot when you're the one team that's not, <laughs> and you have such high hopes. You bring in, I mean the players that are brought in are still high in talent. Um, there's still some good players there. Um, well, and they were sure. so good two years yeah. ago. Yeah. You have, and they, they brought in a freshman who's going to be a first round pick next year. Um, they had, I mean, they had Cole Caulfield, they had Alex Turcat, Turcat, uh, Kendra Miller. They've had so, a lot of just high end players. And other than the, the COVID season, they haven't made the NCAA tournament. Yeah. It's been a while outside of that year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah. I mean, they, they've they've struggled throughout their uh, for his tenure. They haven't punched other way, especially when you're looking at teams like Ohio State and Michigan State, um, who I mean, we're going to get into after this. But they're both playing above their weight and just kind of in comparison to what Wisconsin's doing. It's really tough to see how you can continue uh, keeping Granado um, after the season, unless like something changes in the second half. Um, I mean, at this point, I think one way or another, Steve Rollins is going to get paid. Yeah. Uh, so looking, uh, around the big 10 at the moment, uh, big storyline, obviously Michigan state, uh, four, one and one in the big 10, they've played Notre Dame, Wisconsin, Ohio state, who I think have a case to be the, <laughs> the, the weakest teams in the conference. Um, so we'll see how they do, uh, coming up this weekend against Penn state, but I have not gotten to see a ton of Michigan State. Have you seen them at all? And if you have any, or just in general, any takeaways on the Spartans so far? Uh, I mean, I'm I'm just really impressed even so far with the job uh, Nightingale's done, uh, the new coach there. Um, just, I mean, on paper, Michigan State was finished last last season, and I think this is a weaker team than what they had last year. Really? Yeah. The I mean, they utterly collapsed after um, losing Lewandowski. They lost Drew DeRitter, who's now in North Dakota. They do bring in uh, Dylan Saints here, who honestly is probably the goalie of that all the sub eligibility team. We we've seen him yep. against like Quinnipiac and against um, Notre Dame. I mean, this is going to be the third different team that we'll see yeah. Saints here play in his career. He was a Michigan commit. I he think. was also yes. This is not this is not hyperbole. Like he literally was a Michigan commit with Quinn Hughes. Right. This is how long he has been. This is how long he's been in the college. <laughs> Um, but yeah, he, uh, he wouldn't, he, he was there. He went to Notre Dame, he went to Quinnipiac and now he's at Michigan state. So he, I mean, he's holding his own there. Um, but they lost several, um, lost several of their top players, um, in the change and the transfer portal. They bring in a couple of good guys. Um, I'm really impressed with the recruiting classes that they have coming in. So it's kind of more of a holding pattern, but getting the most out of the players that they have right now and getting them to play and buy into the system, uh, that, that he's doing is just, I mean, it's, it's really impressive. Um, they beat Ohio State um, t- on uh, Thursday night in game one, tied entering the third period. So a uh, more even game? Ohio State's like, like MO is they will outplay you. They will kind of run you down. Um, they will take advantage of your, uh, of your mistakes. And a lot of the times, I mean, the last year and a half, Ohio State has come back in the third period to win about eight or nine times. Hmm. It's not often you see teams do it against them, and that's what happened there. Wow. And the Friday game, um, I mean, same series just held it down in the third period. I think he, I think they, Ohio State put up like 18, 19 shots in the third, and they were able to hold on. Um, 
I, I don't know if it's going to happen over the long haul, but I think it, I think at least you're seeing you're seeing steps in the positive direction for Michigan State, which is what you want to see. Um, I still kind of think highly of Ohio State. Um, they've certainly had some solid performances. Uh, they, they took it to Minnesota in the opening game in Columbus. Um, kind of showed a nice blueprint of how you're going to beat Minnesota on the road. Well, a lot of them, their success is Dobish, right? Or are they starting to branch out from that? It's Dobish. Um, they have a couple. I think Stephen Holiday is an under, probably the most underrated uh, freshman coming into the Big Ten. Hmm. Um, he's doing well. They got Mason Lowey back, um, who was a Boston pick, uh, and he, him kind of getting injured at the end of last season, kind of that, and I think just relying a lot on uh, younger players was kind of the turnaround in uh, Ohio State's fortunes, where just they're looking well and they kind of faded down the stretch. Yeah, um, they have some really good pieces. They still need kind of things to go the right way, but I mean, again, Steve Brock gets a lot out of his players, and they punch above their weight, so. They kind of, I feel like they're they're a good barometer for where you are in the Big Ten. It's it's tough to play two good games to get two good games against them in the weekend. Yeah, and I mean the the Michigan State Ohio State game. You look at it, and um, MSU you know gets outshot at even strength in, in both the games. Certainly outshot attempt, but I was impressed by the just the numbers that Saints here was able to hold it together. And Dobish now has allowed three goals or more in four straight games, two against Minnesota, or four in both games against Minnesota, and then three and four against MSU. So that's something to monitor. His save percentage is about 20 points below what it was last season. And so, again, that's just something uh, to keep an eye on for me. But uh, both of those teams seem middle of the league. The team that might now have a case for the top, uh, certainly because of some of the teams they've played, are the Penn State Nittany Lions. What's uh, what's going on with them? Yeah, we had our own troubles with them last weekend. It's so, I mean, the thing with Penn State, uh, it's kind of you're seeing them put things together, like you build upon their success year in, year out. This one's kind of close to that 2020 team that won the Big Ten and was looking to be a Frozen Four contender before uh, the pandemic hit. Hmm where they brought in two really under-the-radar guys in the transfer portal. Um, they basically returned all their scoring. Um, they solved their goaltending problem. Um, and the two guys in the transfer portal, uh, Terry Linden, who I think I, I watched him play at RPI, and he was just really fantastic there, a great leader. And then Ashton Calder, who helped lead Lake Superior State to the NCAAs a couple of years ago and then played a big role in North Dakota last season. So you have those guys. You have guys who know how to get uh, – do well and just kind of have that leadership and you have an older team, a veteran team, which especially now for playing Minnesota and Michigan, who, I mean, a lot of talents on both sides, um, a lot of returning veterans, but also a lot of young players where you're looking for both these teams are going to be this season. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And you're trying to build upon um, successes in October for just being able to uh, be the best team when it comes in April down in Tampa. And I thought, Honestly, I watched uh, I watched the Friday game with Penn State, Michigan, and seeing this weekend's games against Minnesota. Um, I mean, it's really it was underrated team. I had uh, I had somebody uh, at BTN asking before the season started who I thought was the third best team in the Big Ten, and I was like, it might be Notre Dame, but I wouldn't be shocked if it's Penn State, um, just with who they have coming in. And I mean, so far they're really showing it. And you think that their goalie Soulier has is legit i mean like because we saw him last year a little bit and it was he was up and down and then this year you know 
Michigan didn't really challenge him a whole lot on Friday and Saturday, you know, they got their goals early and then didn't do as much late. Um, you got to see him this weekend. Are, are you impressed with him? You think he's for real? I don't know if he's someone who can steal a game, but what really has impressed me is Penn State's defense is it's a lot more um, structured. They're not giving up too many odd man chances. Yeah. But it's not the Penn State old where they're going to go down, they're going to shoot from everywhere, they're going to build up the shot count, and then the teams are going to go back down the other way and kind of create odd man rushes, um, which works a lot for well for some teams. Um, it doesn't work against the top teams, and they're not able to. And I thought Penn State able, was able to kind of come back. I mean, they came back against Michigan in that second game. Um, they did well against Minnesota in that first game. And it's certainly, I think, for the Nindy Lions to hit that next level of success, they're going to need to be able to do that where when things aren't going well, they find that success. Um, what what did Minnesota do well in that second game? Because they ended up splitting, right? They they lost, I believe, Minnesota lost four to Two and then they won three to one. Yeah, they did. And uh, yeah, four. It was empty netter, and then it was the three uh, one was they scored. Uh, they came back from down one nothing. Um, they're able to get that second. They're able to get another line of going. Um, besides uh, Nice, Cooling, Snuggerud, um, and in particular, it was uh, Jackson Nelson and Bryce Bratzinski who scored the two to go ahead in the third, and he scored them basically on the same shift back to back. The third goal just fantastic. It was uh, Jackson Nelson. who was a really big guy. Um, veteran at this point, like 23-24, um, uses his body to pretty much just manhandle a, a Penn State defender, get the puck, and then find Bar- Bradzinski in front of the net. Um, it's a play that you don't really see that much from Minnesota. Um, there's a lot of skill, but just getting that kind of blue-collar um, play around the net, um, I mean, it makes a big difference for the Gophers, getting that second line going, getting a third line. Um, Aaron Huglin scored in the, set, uh, or the Friday game because it was Thursday-Friday series. Um and that was his first goal of the season. Rhett Pitlick uh, played well for Minnesota down the stretch last season. He only has one. It's a very memorable one. Uh, it's the one against North Dakota where he threw the stick in the crowd. Oh, yeah. yeah, we actually referenced that earlier this year. Yeah. yeah. So that's the only. But that's the only goal he scored so far the season. So. <laughs> I guess you got to make it count, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you want to get into Minnesota now, and then we can we can finish up with some look at the standings, and then uh, go back to the non-con. Um, Alex was pretty high on a couple players for Minnesota. I mean, everyone is. I mean, you you like Nyes because you're kind of a Leafs fan, Alex. Um, I assume that you also like Matthew Nyes? I mean, right now, the the jump that he makes from each season to season is just beyond impressive. It's his development. uh, It just, it's what you want to see in a player. We've we've seen a lot of college players just make that big jump. I mean, you have a couple on Michigan who've done the same thing so far this season where making that big jump from the freshman to sophomore season and kind of nice case. I mean, being the leader on that line with two freshmen, two high end talents, uh, first round picks and nice isn't a first round pick, but I think if you redraft that uh, one, he would be now. Yeah. And I mean, him and Sam Eskevich from Michigan seem like decent uh, kind of comps for each other in terms of entering the season as guys who were going to get even better as, as sophomores, but the one who's kind of surprised me for Minnesota, I mean, Logan Cooley's been eh, pretty good 10 points in 12 games, but eight goals to lead the team for Jimmy Snuggerud, and he was kind of a later first-round pick, I think uh, St. Louis, uh, but, uh, you know, on paper, he's been awesome. What's been, you know, your summary of him thus far? Yeah, I mean, Snuggerud, I think on most teams, it's he's a player who you would look at and be like, this is a freshman to watch. Um, but, I mean, with the Minnesota where you have – 
two other first round picks. You have several other second round picks. You have a lot of high end talent. I mean, especially coming in with uh, the third overall pick of Bogan Cooley, it's kind of easy to forget that. Well, here's a player who is an elite shooter. He was one of the leaders on the NTDP team. And I'm he has built in chemistry with uh, with Cooley and just building that line together with those two and nice has been just fantastic to watch. I mean, if you look at Cooley's stats, they don't jump out and they're impressive as much as um, the eight goals from Snuggerud. I think nice has seven, um, but he sets them up. He creates plays. He is just a dynamic player and fantastic to watch. And if he continues to find the success, like I know the goals will follow and it's just, it's really fun to watch and just for Michigan fans to get that opportunity to see him this week. And I think it's just, it's going to be, it's going to be good to watch. So, Minnesota overall eight and four, four and two in the Big Ten. Not pretty good start. Very very similar to Michigan. They're I know Alex doesn't let me talk about pairwise until January, but they're twelfth in pairwise. They're ninth in Corsi. Um, the interesting thing to me: twenty one percent on the power play. Good, pr- probably about where you you would at least hope that they would be. But seventy nine percent on the penalty kill. Were you expecting a better penalty kill, or have they kind of struggled there a little bit? I mean, I was expecting a little better. I think Minnesota's strength is, I mean, they got a lot of high-end freshmen, and they have a lot of young players who you're hoping to kind of build upon everything. But I thought their strength is, I mean, their strength is their blue line. I mean, you return Faber, you return Johnson, you return Lacombe, you return Kester. Like, they had a solid blue line last season, and just bringing back four of those players who, if three of them left, you wouldn't last your last season. It wouldn't have been a surprise. So. Yeah. I mean, that's what we were talking about to end the season, yeah. Alex, is just yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> Um, so having that blue line, I mean, it's Minnesota's strength, um, especially just putting them in front of uh, close. And you think it'd be a little better, but at the same time, they've also Minnesota's schedule. Um, really, Minnesota's schedule, like just from a perception standpoint, other than opening with Linden Wood, they have essentially played top ten teams the red the so far this season. Um, Notre Dame was up there when they played them. Ohio State has been flirting around the top ten. They played Minnesota State. They played North Dakota. Played Duluth. They played Duluth. Um, they, they, they didn't play Duluth? Oh, okay. That was Minnesota State. I'm sorry. The first, this is the first season since like the 60s they don't play Duluth. Really? Yeah. It, uh, is that a bummer for you? It is a little bit because I do really do enjoy those series, but it's, it's just one of those things where I think the pandemic just kind of shifted things around where hmm. it didn't work out scheduling. They had the same thing in a couple of seasons where they don't play North Dakota for a year. Hmm. Um, so it's just kind of trying to get teams back on, trying to get things off. It's just, yeah. So... Um, they play St. Cloud later in January. Okay. So, so you mentioned about all their, their draft picks. Um, 14 drafted skaters, seven in the top two rounds. Right now they have six guys that are scoring over 0.75 points per game. And then they're getting really good goaltending. 1.88 GAA and a nine uh, 0.923 save percentage from close. Um, you know, we were originally a little iffy on him when, he, I mean, LaFontaine left. And we were like, well, Minnesota's probably going to fade. That clearly didn't happen, and Close played pretty well. Michigan got him a couple times, I think, uh, moving him side to side. But overall, his numbers, are, are you surprised? Are you happy? Like, what? what's sort of your take on Justin Close overall? I mean, yeah, you got to be happy with what he's doing, especially it's a fantastic story. He basically came on as a third stringer. I mean, as a third string goalie, he's fantastic in the Saskatchewan League. Um, smaller guy, I mean, he's Almost, I mean, I'll throw out a name that Michigan fans will know. He's pretty much Minnesota's Sean Hunwick. That's what I was wondering if you were going to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, the way, I mean, I think the way to beat him is definitely getting side to side. He's not, he doesn't have the size that you see in a modern goalie. And that's pretty much, I think that's what holds him back. But 
Uh, he has a fantastic defense that plays in front of him. He might not win you a game, but he's certainly going to keep you in it. Yeah, um, looking at Minnesota overall, you're talking about the strength of schedule. I don't know if you saw this today. A BU person posted this on Twitter. It was strength of schedule uh, by the KRATCH ratings. BU has by far the toughest strength of schedule. Yeah. Anyway, they're like off the graph. But then the number two is Notre Dame. Number three is Michigan. Number four, UMass. Five, Denver. Six, Minnesota. So, you know, those Big Ten teams in Michigan, Minnesota in particular, very, very battle-tested here uh, for this matchup. Yeah, and I know we don't really like to talk, we don't like to talk pairwise until January, but I will, I make an exception for like kind of general trends with the teams. And I mean, right now the Big Ten is sitting in a very good situation. The big thing with the pairwise is you want to win the games. You want to, uh, good wins matter or will certainly help you. Bad losses will hurt you more than good wins. Yeah. Big Ten is a conference doesn't really have bad losses i think i was trying to look at i was looking it up and like the worst loss i think you can say that the big 10 maybe has in non-conference play because i mean wisconsin struggled horribly but they did sweep minnesota duluth <laughs> and they did win and they did beat uh, liu so that certainly helped it didn't hurt them they didn't hurt the rest of the conference uh penn state uh took st thomas to overtime in one of the games that's not going to help big but i think the worst loss is uh michigan state lost one to bowling green that's the only one yeah. that is that's under 500 uh notre dame uh tied air force like yeah going to that point where like the sec that's the second worst uh thing in the pairwise it's a really good thing for the conference everyone's pretty much pretty high right now um all these teams are going to be playing each other in the second half um and it's only going to help the rest of the big 10 uh they have by, by far the best non-conference record among the conferences and i think it's a winning record against everyone except for hockey east which is like it's two, three, and one or something. It's very close to five hundred. Hmm. How what uh what uh kind of what number of bids do you think the Big Ten is looking at right now? We were talking about this earlier that this could be a four or five big bid league potentially. Yeah, I'd probably aim with four. Yeah, be my guess. Uh, one one way or the other. I mean, if you get five, I, I mean, it's gonna be very tough to get six. <laughs> I mean, is that? I don't know if anyone's done that. I don't even know if NCHC's done that. You can use it, six as possible, but I think they have too few teams. I think that's gonna be the tough thing with it. It's you. You can dominate. I mean, you dominate non-conference play. The Big Ten have done it, but it pretty much would be like Wisconsin loses everything. Loses <laughs> does not win a game for the rest of the year. And then everyone else kind of, I don't know, it's, it's, it's going to be a tough thing to do. I don't know, like, it, or like someone would have to, like, steal the uh, the auto bid. Um, but for, Well, like, some of those NCHC teams were getting in a few years ago with, like, 500 records, right? Because yeah. their, their strength of schedule is just insane because they'd have five or six teams that, I mean, you, no one got sweeps. Yeah, and that's, and that's going to certainly help that Notre Dame, Michigan State, Ohio State kind of tier where those teams are going to be in better shape. Uh, I mean, last season it was three. Ohio State nearly made it four. Either they're the first or second team out. Um, four should be doable um, with this season the big in the Big Ten. Uh, it'll, you know, it'll depend on how the games go. But five, five would be a stretch. I would, I would be shocked if it was less than four. Do you have anything else for Minnesota, Alex? Not particularly. All right. So the net, look, before we let you go, we want to go through some non-conference stuff. Um, you know, we we open. You guys opened with Linda, Minnesota opened them with Lindenwood, and then I think they came to Michigan. And it's kind of been a point that we would touch in on, see what they did every week, because um, we had some conversations about how you know for playing their third. You know, you guys got their first two games. We got their third and fourth games. You know, they didn't look that bad. And then after those four games, I think they've gotten up to about four wins now. Um, we were 
kind of impressed with Lyndon Wood. Did you have similar impressions or have you seen them since? I, I really haven't seen them since, but yeah, just kind of looking at the record and like they're being like, they seem like they're very competitive against Atlantic hockey, which again, is really impressive because the majority of that team, I think is off their, is off their club team from last year. It's kind of <laughs> a little similar to Arizona state. I think Penn state had at least brought in some more D one players, but yeah, it's actually, I, I, that, that really stood out to me. Um, because there's a, there's two there's two ways you can kind of go with where you're building a new team from scratch and they I was saying they did uh, I was saying yeah they're certainly punching above their weight right now um, I think it was the game against Minnesota like they actually they were leading in the second period I was like hey I get it you're kind of playing with house money but it's impressive to see uh, to see a team that's playing its first uh, weekend in D1 hockey let alone coming into a 10,000 seat arena and playing a team that made the Frozen Four the year before. And right, just kind of being able to hold a lead against them at one point, yeah, and then do the same thing the next weekend, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> which was which was crazy. Um, do you, all right, so I got to ask you, Alex brought this up, and I had no idea, but do you remember their coach in the NHL? Because he played, he played what for the Wings in the late '80s. You said, yeah, their coach is Rick Zombo from the late yeah. '80s, early '90s. Do you do you remember him at all, Nate? No, no, it's before my time. Okay. We, I, I, I talked to a couple other people, and they're like, "Oh, you know that name sounds familiar." And I was like, "Yeah, we, we did a little research on." Him. Okay, yeah. um, really, I think it shows like a teams like that, teams like LIU, like just, um, I mean, Arizona State's found success in the NCAA tournament, like in just four or five seasons of coming up. It just really shows uh, just how much talent is out there in um, college hockey. And just, I mean, there's more teams playing D1 than there ever have been. Yeah, that sounds uh, right. And despite, I think, a few programs crashing out. This year, there'll be 64 next season. Um, but at the same time, it's just, I mean, the the, the, the quality of hockey continues to go up. Um, the teams don't, I mean, the, the number of teams don't. Like, there certainly can fit more teams. So, but just being able to come in and uh, do the job, like all these, all these new teams, just being able to kind of give these established top teams and teams that we'll see in the NCAA tournament. And I wouldn't be shocked seeing the Frozen Four. Um, give them fits as newcomers just it really speaks to the quality of uh, hockey that is just the number of players who are doing a fantastic I mean, just who are developing and USA hockey continues to grow and get better and we're certainly uh, as college hockey fans and writers we're reaping rewards uh, another team that Minnesota had a huge win against last year Michigan had um, a controversial not playing a game against them and uh, played them this year, Western Michigan. Um, they, I believe, split with St. Cloud. So, I mean, you know, that's that's a team that had was what I believe a one seed last year had sort of their um, golden generation of players that came through, and that was their big year. Got pretty close um, in the rebuild this year. I mean, they they looked all right. Michigan, I had to take them to, I think, overtime in the second game. I had to get a late winner. Um, and then St. Cloud, who they, they split with St. Cloud, who's having a good year themselves, and that program was built by basically Minnesota's coach. Yeah, honestly, I always thought St. Cloud was kind of it's just a sleeper team. People forget how well they were last season, and it was kind of a bit of a quote-unquote down year for the Huskies. Um, their goalie got injured before the NCAA tournament, and they still kind of took it to Quinnipiac. Uh, they played well in the NCHC, and they returned a lot of those players. Uh, two seasons ago, they are in the national championship game. Oh, yeah. And I mean, they had the stretch before where they're the number one overall seed, like or number two seed, three or four years. Um, it didn't go on the NCAA tournament. We won't talk about that, but um, <laughs> they, they they certainly got uh, the. I mean, I'm not shocked to see them. I thought I always thought they'd be like 
an under the radar team. I kind of feel like them and uh, Harvard are the two teams that like I could feel like if someone's going to do what Denver did last season and win the NCAA championship, kind of without even talking about them. Harvard, Michigan, it's Harvard. I think yeah, in two weeks. And Western, yeah, and then Western Michigan. I mean, pretty much lost all their top players, all their goalies, and rebuilt straight out of the transfer portal. And just, I thought it'd take them a lot more time to get things going. And I mean, they gave Michigan a run. Yeah. They played well against St. Cloud. I mean, it's not an easy thing going in the uh, NCHC. Um, they struggled. I think they lost their opening game against Alaska Anchorage, and that was certainly hurt them in the pairwise come the end of the year. Um, and that's kind of what I expected. I was like, they'll, they'll get better, but it's going to struggle early. But we're talking about them having fantastic results, and it's only mid-November. Uh, and then the last series that I had written down, um, just because Michigan played BU, they swept UMass. I believe that was a home and home because that's a um, hockey East series, so a lot of there's a lot of home and homes because you don't have to travel quite as far when you're in hockey East. Oh no, no. <laughs> that's pretty nice. It is, yeah. UMass, and honestly, I thought UMass the team I figured also would take a little bit to gel together, and then they had that weekend against Denver where uh, they went to town, and now it's kind of maybe coming back to earth. They had uh, struggled against Providence. Who's another team? Just that that like top bit of hockey East is going to be really interesting to watch because they're all beating up on one another. Yeah, I'm not 100 sure what to make of it. I'm really excited to watch it play out. Uh, I don't know if you watched the if you already paid much attention to that Providence UConn series that went on this weekend. We've been checking in on UConn because they beat Ohio State and that got our attention. Yeah, yeah. UConn has certainly for about five years now. I've been like, this is going to be UConn's year, and just it never happened. <laughs> now I think it finally has. They got things going, but. That series was that series was nuts. It ended up being it was officially two ties. You kind of won both the shootouts, uh, but it was like three nothing Providence, and like it probably could have been like five nothing in the first period, and then they came back to tie it and they went back and forth. UConn scores a late goal on Saturday in the Saturday game to send it to overtime. Um, so like all those teams are kind of like you're seeing a lot of like splits and or seeing a lot of sweeps and just kind of close games. I mean Providence kind of did the same thing where they blew out UMass. Um, a couple weekends ago and then had a close game where they went to overtime. Um, and so you're seeing teams play really well one weekend and kind of really struggle the next. Um, BU right now seems to be the one to, which again, under a first year coach, under um, a team that you maybe didn't expect to be the uh, the top one in hockey East, but they seem to be the one that have things going together right now at the, at, at the moment. Uh, I don't know if that's going to last weekend to weekend, but yeah, that hockey East right now is just really exciting to see because, I don't really know what to make of it. <laughs> sort of like the Big Ten. It's sort of a yeah, yeah. It sort of is like the Big Ten, except it, it would be at the Big Ten. Like I guess going back to our football thing, it'd be if you just had pretty much a larger group of just the Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan State, Ohio State, Notre Dame's, Penn State's, just kind of all going against one another without having the Michigan and Minnesota. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, anything else you had? No, not Alex? really. Okay. Um, Nate, is there anything you want to plug or, or tell people where they can find you or read your stuff? Or um, Right now, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Gopher State, uh, provided Twitter is still around when we're talking. <laughs> um, I write occasionally elsewhere. I usually tweet it out on Twitter, so that's the best so way. So that's the best way? Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Um, anything else, Alex? Nope. You're good. All right. Hey, thanks for joining us, Nate. We always appreciate it. Uh, do you have any prediction for this weekend? I, I've, I've been going splits and I've been watching these games and I'm just like, uh, that's what it sort of feels like. But um, I think I think Michigan takes it Friday. Minnesota takes it Saturday. I have the same feeling of a split Thursday, Friday. Yeah. Yeah. Game one, game two. I think yeah. it's, uh, I've been going into Yost. It's a tough thing. 
it's, it's a tough thing, especially for Minnesota to do and going to the game. And I think I said the same thing last year when we were talking about it and it was the exact opposite. <laughs> yeah. Minnesota just like blew the doors off. Yeah. And then, yeah. Cause then we were at, I was in Indy for the next game and then, uh, so I didn't get to see it, but then yeah, Michigan did that. I, that's just what it feels like. Um, I mean, both these teams are pretty close. I mean, Alex and I had talked all year about how they'd seem kind of like the class of the big 10 and, and now like, Probably still so, but now there seems to be a lot of other teams. So it should be an interesting weekend. Yeah, um, I, I think that's probably the best way to put it with the Big Ten, where Minnesota and Michigan are, 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 are I would expect them to be the top two teams, but that gap between second and third and fourth and is much closer than it was a season ago, where it was you knew that it was Minnesota, Michigan. Notre Dame kind of got in there by the basis of just having Michigan's number at times Yep. throughout the good portion of the season, but still um, – it was just that, that that gap was there. You can kind of see it, and I don't. I think it, I don't think it's as big this year. Um, winning winning two games and winning two games in a, any any series is going to be just big for. Yeah. No what it is. Agreed. All right. Thanks, Nate. It was good talking to you. Hopefully, we'll talk again soon. Can't wait. Thanks for having me. See ya. for listening to Michigan Hockey Cast 5.7 for Alex Drain and David Nasternak. Come back next week where we will be previewing depending on how you look at it, the Harvard of the West versus Harvard, or the Michigan of the East versus Michigan. Michigan.